Five o'clock in Pirate Country, and 94.3 The Game is going to get you home with the P-Man. In five, four, three, two, one. Lock it in. Turn it up. It's time for the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. This is the flagship station of the ECU Pirates. And now, Patrick Johnson with today's Pirate Report on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94.3 The Game. Right you are. We begin uh, with the Pirate Report today. We have breaking news. Uh, Announced in the last uh, hour or so, ECU has a positive COVID-19 case. Uh, after they tested a group of athletes, coaches, and staff on Tuesday. The university will not say which group the positive tests belong to. Again, be it an athlete, be it coaches, be it a member of uh, the athletic staff. 68 people were tested uh, for the virus as part of ECU's return to campus protocol. Those tests happening two days ago. The athletic department so far has tested 133 student athletes and 59 staffers. And all the other tests have been negative. ECU says the person will self-isolate for 14 days and receive daily monitoring from the ECU medical staff. Uh, We confirmed that isolation uh, period and protocol with uh, media relations earlier today. Uh, They would not say where that individual would be self-isolating. So this is not to be unexpected. I think uh, if you look at the grand scheme of uh, things uh, out of the tests they've done, uh, the 133 on student-athletes individual tests, the 59 staff tests, uh, which I presume would include uh, coaches and assistant coaches in that, uh, that is a fairly minute number compared to what you're seeing in other parts uh, of the country, Boise State shutting things down. Uh, reports of positive tests at Clemson, Alabama. Uh, there is an unconfirmed report uh, that we got yesterday or, or maybe uh, two days ago about uh, University of Georgia had 80 football players uh, reportedly test positive uh, for the COVID-19. I've not seen a, a, a report on that confirming that number, but again, that is uh, uh, some of the scuttlebutt that is out there. So at this point to have a person with a uh, positive coronavirus test of the student athletes who have made their way back to campus so far, or uh, a staffer or assistant coach, I think that is a uh, certainly small number compared to what it could be. And and I'm sure ECU, uh, and from what I understand, ECU athletics have basically jumped on this very, very quickly to to isolate the person uh, and have them quarantine themselves for the next couple of weeks. The thing that uh, I... Uh, you know, have when I've talked to some people over at the campus about this, they are obviously expecting or were expecting a test at some point. I mean, just the the mathematics of the thing lead you to believe that there is going to be and was going to be someone that would test positive. Uh, they have indeed uh, had that first positive test, and now things go into the mode of uh, when someone is quarantined for that two week period. Uh, will you have any other cases pop up? Uh, again, uh, this is uh, breaking news that came in this afternoon. Uh, a positive test for COVID-19 in the round of ECU athletics testing. Uh, a most recent group of tests that included athletes, coaches, and staff. 
uh, that round of testing on Tuesday. Now, we do know that there are going to be other ECU athletes in the coming uh, week, next week, start to make their way to campus uh, in uh, the various sports. Of course, it's men's and women's basketball and football that uh, are reportedly back for these voluntary workouts now. And uh, they will be tested immediately as well, one would think, because when you have people entering from the uh, outside as you've tried to create this bubble, you don't want that penetrated with this uh, virus. Uh, we don't know if this was anyone who maybe had just recently joined the campus. There's just no nothing known about uh, any of that. We'll continue to uh, follow this for you. Uh, another note on our uh, Pirate Report today, ECU Women's Basketball. Uh, getting a transfer from Conference USA in Charlotte, a, a native of North Carolina named Maddie Moore, six foot three, uh, didn't play a ton with Charlotte, forty three games as a uh, member of the Forty ers women's program, and one start in her career. But at six three, obviously a uh, uh, tall and athletic uh, 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 body that uh, will help down the road after sitting out a year. Uh, she will then uh, become part of uh, the active roster, and she is uh, one now of a handful who have signed a national letter of intent uh, and will be considered part of the uh, 2020 ECU signing class. So congratulations to Coach uh, Kim McNeil, who was with us a couple of uh, days ago. Uh, baseball's uh, coming back. Former big league pitcher Paul Shuey, part of the ACC Network and uh ESPN three uh, and ESPN plus broadcast. We've had Paul on the show before he's scheduled to join us today. Uh, we'll look forward to uh, talking to him right now. We say uh, hello to our producer, Ben Byram. Hey, Ben. Hey, Ben. <laughs> uh, ben, Matt rules spoke again uh, today, uh, a zoom media call. We've got some of the uh, audio we're going to play for you here. Uh, and, uh, the, the response to the question of Cam Newton came up, and uh, that is uh, that that is pretty interesting to me. The one that's getting all the headlines, of course, is uh, the announcement that he might be participating or will be participating in taking a knee with players if they choose to do so. So let's play that piece of footage, Ben. Uh, let's uh, air that uh, uh, piece of audio, I should say. And then uh, we'll run through this. But to me, the Cam Newton response is kind of uh, more interesting than anything. But this is Matt Rule saying uh, if his players choose to take a knee, he may very well do so. Consider First of all, I would consider anything, um, you know what I mean, as, as we move forward. I think um, uh, I'm you know, supportive uh, of, of the cause. I'm supportive of the movement. I'm supportive of social justice. Um, uh, you know, I think for me, like, I think every every person, whether coach, player, everyone, that'll be a very personal decision for each person. Um, I think it has to be made at the right time for the right reasons for everybody. And uh, so I'll support my players with whatever they do. And then, you know, when the time comes, I'll, uh, you know, I'll really, you know, think you know deeply about, hey, what, what's the best thing for me? What's the best way that I can show my support? But uh, make no mistake, I'm definitely supportive. And, um, you know, I think a lot of this, you know, has come from the players. So I'll, I'll sort of. Uh, wait and sort of see, you know, what direction they're leaning. And then, um, then you know, I, like everyone else, kind of make my decisions. Uh, Rule was asked about uh, training camp preparations. So right now there, we, there's no, um, you know, there's no further direction, right? So they gave us obviously the, um, the tier system and sort of the social distancing and the preliminary, um, the preliminary guidelines. Uh, we're preparing for, you know, the rookies to show up, um, 
July 21st, you know, injured players and quarterbacks, I think it's the 23rd, and then obviously the veterans on the 28th. So we're, we're preparing for that. Um, but we know that we know that there'll be more probably um, more guidelines, more protocols, more best practices as we move forward. You know, um, we have a, I think we have a tremendous team of people. You know, Eddie Levins, you know, leads that as our infection control officer, Sean Padden. Um, Dr. Gritter, Dr. Connor, you know, there's just a, uh, Kent Johnson, our director of wellness, Kevin King, our trainer. Um, they, you know, they have a great team. I think that has been looking for since the very beginning, you know, what are the cutting edge technologies? What are the things that are going to, you know, make this as safe and as, as, as healthy a place as possible? Mark Hart being our COO is always thinking that way. So, um, I think one of the things that I've taken away from, I'm not very involved in those things, but the times I've listened is like, what's best practice now might not be that way in 30 days. And so it's an ever evolving group. That being said, I think when the time comes, whatever the, whatever the cutting edge technology, whatever the best practices, whatever the safest ways that we can do things, um, they, uh, I'm sure that they'll do. You know, they've also talked about quarantining certain players, uh, quarantining, um, you know, uh, the quarterbacks, that's something they discussed and they talked a little bit about today. Obviously, that's part of that uh, evolution and that process uh, that uh, uh, they were referencing uh, there. Uh, let's see. This is uh, well. They got they got to talking about the uh, quarterback, and uh, here we go with uh, Teddy Bridgewater uh, as the quarterback of the future, and why Matt Rule is so confident about that. This uh, starts. Uh, this is the lead-in to the Cam question, correct? It so is. You got it. Th- this is this is Teddy Bridgewater's uh, uh, question about Teddy Bridgewater's the future of the uh, Panthers. Uh, you know, Teddy for us is you know exactly you know what we want. Um, you know, I think that this offense in general, you know, when you look at it, it, it in New Orleans, that iteration of it where Joe first learned it, is not necessarily a vertical down the field passing game as much as. Um, as it is a, a, a catch and run underneath matchup type passing game. We obviously have the ability to throw the ball downfield. Teddy's got a great arm, but you know, I think, um, you know, he, he's done what he's been asked to do. Um, you know, so I, I think, uh, I think you have to be really careful. I think, you know, analytics are always, you know, a piece of the puzzle, but there's also, um, there's also, Hey, what were you asked to do? <laughs> you know, I think what you really have to do is go out and look at, um, you know, can a guy push the ball down the field? So I, you know, to me, I'm always looking and saying, well, if they, if he threw the ball 52 yards here, 60 yards here, not many guys can throw it further than 60 yards, but um, I think one of the great things is one of the strengths of our team is that, you know, Robbie Anderson's a deep play threat. Curtis Samuels is a Curtis Samuel is a deep play threat. Um, DJ Moore is a deep play threat. So we feel like we have the, the power to be, you know, to be able to take advantage of throwing the ball down the field. And we know Teddy can do that. All right, so he sounded pretty good there, didn't you think? I thought so. Yeah, he uh, he he maintained himself. He he got through it. He said the perfect answer, I believe. Well, I, I don't know about perfect answer, but he did at least answer uh, with a, a great deal of confidence about Teddy Bridgewater. I think we can all agree to that. Then someone asks Matt Rule about the blame on the Panthers and their late release and the whole way they handled Cam Newton as the reason why he is not signed as of yet? You know, I, I think for me, you know, I, I always uh, pride myself on taking – I think for me at this point with Cam, you know, I think we've answered it. You know, um, I respect him. 
And uh, I just I hate to keep uh, you know I don't want to say the wrong thing or anything you know for, you know I, I just I have a lot of respect for him and I think that's been you know answered. Kind of put him in a bad spot, didn't it? It Again, did. Yeah, I don't to think have to be the guy that. to be the guy that has to answer the Cam Newton questions. But I mean, he's he's out there and there. I mean, he is for better or for worse the franchise quarterback. I mean, he was he's sort of the face of the franchise. Uh, and, and was, and, and in some ways when you, th- when people think the Panthers historically, they're going to think Cam Newton, at least, uh, you know, right now Steve Smith certainly comes to mind, but it's, it's one of those two, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I, I think Cam Newton made the Panthers more relevant in pop culture and, in social media and the media in general. And in terms of, instead of Steve Smith, Cam Newton kind of brought him to that next level to where they became a household name. He certainly led him to their best season. Yeah, and he was uh, the MVP yeah. of that best season. So I, I think you could make the argument that Cam is sort of the uh, face of the franchise. Uh, I, I think that's a valid argument. There's no doubt about it. What I don't think is uh, a valid argument is to necessarily lay all the blame at, at the Panthers' feet, or at least Matt Rule's feet. Matt Rule probably had very little input into the decision, my guess is. And I'm also just going to guess that Matt Rule, you know, is, is in a, in a such a long-term rebuild here. Now they've put some pretty good offensive weapons as far as consistency out there. We'll just see how it all maps out, how the offensive line comes together. That's the biggest part of this. But when you look at uh, reasons Cam Newton has it signed, Cam initially said he didn't want to go anywhere where he couldn't be a starter. Well, with the way this offseason has gone, uh, everybody had kind of made their decision who they were going to at least consider the starting quarterbacks going into training camp whenever it starts. Now, he's backed off of that and says he'll go somewhere maybe as a backup now. But there's also the health of Cam Newton. We don't know what, what that is. And there's no way with all these limitations to have for, for teams to have their doctors look at Cam. You know what I'm saying? So how much of that maybe has changed the things have loosened up? We'll see. He will wind up somewhere before camp's over. He'll be on somebody's roster, I believe, by the end of, of the preseason. Oh, for sure. There's there's no doubt. The talent is undeniable. The the, the thing that that's a little bit questionable is just the, is the injuries. The injuries, I think, is the, is the big question when it comes to well, Cam Newton right now. Respectfully, I don't think the talent's undeniable. When good, the talent is. When healthy, the talent is undeniable. But we also have a version of Cam Newton with a lot more mileage on it uh, than the season in which they went undefeated. We have a Cam Newton who really for two years has been banged up and not uh, well. So, I mean, it's a version of Cam Newton that is not probably the best version of uh, of Cam Newton. And, and, And if he is healthy, I don't think he'll be... Like he his MVP year, I, I seriously doubt that. But I do believe that you'll see uh, someone who uh, certainly will be out with something to prove. I don't think there's any two ways about that. Uh, Major League Baseball is uh, coming back. We're going to be back after this in just a moment here with Paul Shuey on the Patrick Johnson Show. You're listening to the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. The P-Man. He's a big dumb animal, isn't he, folks? This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game.
there is a uh, 30% chance of a storm tonight, low of 67. Uh, as we welcome you back in tomorrow, sunny and a high of 89. It's going to be uh, no rain chance the next couple of days, but it's going to be very hot. Uh, Saturday, high of 91. Sunday, a high of 92 degrees. And then on uh, Monday, a chance of showers uh, after high noon uh, with a high of a 90, only a 40% chance of rain. And there's a little bit of that in the uh, forecast for next week. Uh, 77 right now had rain earlier in the day, and uh, there's a little bit of sun peeking through the clouds. We're working to get uh, Paul Shuey on. He'll be with us uh, hopefully here in a, a few minutes. Uh, in case you're just tuning in, the news that uh, broke this afternoon, ECU says they have a positive COVID-19 case that has come back after they tested a group of athletes, coaches, and staff. Uh, these tests were conducted on Tuesday, and uh, that person will self-isolate for 14 days and receive uh, monitoring from the uh, athletic medical staff at uh, East Carolina. Uh, Paul Shuey, big league uh, pitcher, also broadcaster, uh, now joins us uh, on the phone. We welcome him back to the Patrick Johnson Show. Paul, hope you're well, man. Good to hear your voice again. I'm doing good. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Patrick. So, yeah, good to talk to you. Uh, let me ask you something. What have uh, you been doing since there's been no baseball here for the last several months? How have you been keeping yourself busy? Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, been doing a lot of work. I'm with my brother. We, uh, ran down to Emerald Isle, um, chasing redfish. Um, there you go. Ran up to Gaston. So we're chasing around pretty good, you know, some work mixed in and then some, uh, pitching lessons. So, uh, you know, yeah. staying busy. How, you know, when you talk about pitching lessons there, I'm sure that's, that's uh, kind of like individual work or, or, or individual coaching you do. So how much have you had to change how you do that, if any at all, with all these, you know, suggestions of social distancing and, and COVID and all of that? Well, initially it was very difficult um, and we did it. And the biggest problem is I do a lot of lessons with my, my dad and, um, Trying oh, to get yeah. his hands off the kids was the biggest problem, you know. You're trying to <laughs> fix somebody, and you're trying to, I'm like, no, Dad, no, Dad. And then, you know, you're like, here's some sanitizer and, and that. So, <laughs> and then things, things relaxed a bit. Um, it got a little bit uh, simpler for a while, and now it seems like we're coming back to where we need to take some precautions. So we're just trying to, yeah. trying to do things the right way and at the same time get the kids to where they're in a safer arm position and, you know, staying back, which seems to be <laughs> impossible for most, <laughs> you know, 13, 14-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Shuey, uh, former big leaguer, uh, is with us, uh, involved in uh, broadcast of uh, ACC baseball uh, on the ACC network and uh, the ESPN streaming platforms. Does a lot of UNC games as he's an alum there. Uh, and we're uh, great, uh, grateful for him to give us a few minutes here. Okay, so... You know, I think as fans, we're all excited about MLB coming back. As a pitcher, would you be excited about the 60-game schedule coming back? As a pitcher in the game? I don't yeah. know how. I would think I would be excited just to get back out there and do something. Um, but with what has been suggested and what they've got going, there's a lot of me that's, you know, I feel like everybody's MLB's kind of forcing, you know, a show to go out there and everybody's going to be happy to watch whatever it is that's going out there. But, um, there is certainly a lot of little changes and nuances that are going to be so different that it's going to be, I mean, the biggest thing to me is like, 
guys are really going to be playing, you know, in front of nobody. I, right. you know, that's, that's different. It was very difficult to pitch in those kind of situations. Every game I pitched in Cleveland was sold out, you know, so you're used to 43, 44 night. And it's easy to get up for those games. You don't have to work at it. But I was saying this to my buddy the other day. Can you imagine being a starting pitcher in a game and you hear the phone ring in the bullpen? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a little different. <laughs> like, come on, guys. Oh, I feel good. I feel good. Uh, we've so. got uh, Paul Shuey on with us. That, that's a good point. Um, from the standpoint of, I mean, I guess you're looking at if most teams are going to have a five-man road. So you're looking at 10 to a dozen starts maybe, I guess, in the regular season. You know, it, right. in some years it might be that many starts before you really have kind of settled into things. As a starting pitcher. Oh, no question. Yeah, you've got a bunch of guys that, you know, um, they start off well and then taper, or you got guys that it takes a little while to get going, you know. Um, when I play with Tommy, you know, you're sitting there talking about, you know, he would struggle for about a month, and then he would just kill it the rest of the year, you know. And right now you can't – it's hard to make up, you know. It's going to be hard for those guys that have a slow start to make up that ground. Um and it, it'll be interesting. And then you go right into playoffs, and I guess the rules are going to switch to where it's a little more normal, you know, for the playoffs. So it'll still be exciting. I'll still be excited to, to be able to watch, you know, some baseball on TV because I know how much we all miss it. But um, I don't know. I, I mean, how is Francona going to be able to manage a game without seeds coming out, you know, the whole time? I'm just wondering how the dynamic is actually going to end up working. You know, that's there's no high fives. There's no fist bump. There's no, you know, uh, I guess now they they don't want any spitting that that was something we had heard about, but I guess it just came out yesterday or today that they, like you said, they don't want sunflower seed spitting. I mean, that these are sort of integral uh, fabric (laughs) parts of the game. Are they not? Absolutely. They are. And so it's just, like I said, there's going to be so many changes. It's going to be some entertainment just watching guys, how they're dealing with, you know, what they're kind of given because it's absolutely one of those where, you know, different guys may do well in a stadium where, you know, it, it's, it's empty. Right. And some guys that usually do really well may, may struggle a bit because it's yeah. just, there's not quite the buzz that's going on and, you know, all those little pieces and little rules that they're throwing in there, it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays, how it actually plays. And it wouldn't surprise me if some of the, you know, some teams do better than than people, you know, would think that they would just because they handle the situation better. Former big leaguer Paul Shuey is with us. When you were, uh, you know, when, when you're getting ready for a start, the day before the start, um, what are you doing at the uh, at the ballpark that day, or in the dugout during the game. Well, so I spent my whole career as a reliever, but the guys that were doing the starting, you know, they have their set routines and they go about their business. But as a reliever, it would be the same thing. Where I come in at two thirty, get on, sit down, and start to do a crossword. Can't figure it out, and then you get on a bike <laughs> for thirty minutes, and then all of a sudden it's amazing. You can actually the word hit crossword. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, well, uh, I guess I guess what I'm saying is, if you're starting, and I and I meant you there as kind of the, you know, uh, uh, 
you in general, but I mean, if you're a, a starting pitcher and it's, you're going to start, you know, your starts Wednesday, are you going to spend maybe Sunday, Monday, Tuesday away from the ballpark in this new sort of scenario? It would seem like you'd have to. I mean, I don't think I could. I, I, right. It's, it's as a, well, as a team guy, you know, well, I'm just saying if, if like, let's just say, all right, you're getting the start. Uh, you know you're going to start Wednesday. In order to avoid any kind of COVID, do you just maybe spend you know two or three days away from the park at the hotel? You know that's a great question. I I would prefer not to because I want right. to be there for everybody that's there, and I want to feel like you know you're always no matter what's going on you're trying that childhood game feel you know to yeah. where you're you're there for your buddies and the high fives and all the stuff that's, you know, it really is, you know, a key part of the game. If you can't do that, um, it's going to change things enough to where I'm not sure, but I mean, I think there's going to be rules in place set by, you know, your, your GM or whatever to protect the guys. So they would have to do that. And that's the only way to make it, you know, to where it's right. And somebody's not being selfish. And then it's, you know, it's a, it's a different kind of, animals it's just something you have to deal with and this is how you're going to work at it but um that would be very difficult for me i mean one of the reasons i became a reliever is because i hated the four days in between a start where you're just kind of floating out there you know what i mean um yeah yeah. you're and if you had a bad outing you got four days to think about how bad you were you know and that's not good i like the relieving aspect where you can just jump right back in and if you can't be a everyday player at least you could be you know you, you could have a, a bigger part of a every day. You could be a part of the game, a big part of the game any day of the week, which I love that aspect of it, you know? We've got uh, Paul Shuey with us, uh, broadcast uh, college baseball at the ACC Network, uh, a lot of UNC games, uh, former big leaguer uh, joining us uh, here. Uh, let me ask you, uh, you know, they're going to expand the playoffs. I think for this year that makes some sense. They're also toying around with uh, some other rules, uh, in Major League Baseball, there's uh, been a report about, you know, uh, at a certain point in an extra inning game or maybe right even off the jump in the extra innings, uh, have a runner on second base. Uh, I, I I kind of look at it as if you're you – know, there's also the DH aspect. They're talking the National League might not uh, – might have the DH this year. If, if you're going to have a season where you go through an experiment with some rules, this seems to be their season to do it. Yeah, and I can see that they're – they're trying that. Um, and maybe we'll, you know, see some results or see how it fares. But one of the things that would be interesting is <laughs> when you have some fans there to, you know, now it's going to be call-ins and people are going to talk about it, but I don't know. There's just a lot of me that I like the, the way the game's been played. And I, I'm not a big fan of all the changes that they're making. Um, I understand they want to keep baseball relevant but it's, it's harder for me, a guy who's, you know, been there and played the game and you kind of want to keep everything the same so that, you know, it, uh, I don't know, it just seems right, I guess. And, um, yeah, when they're messing with it to this extent, I don't know, it just changes the, the quality in my opinion, a little bit. When you got to play, uh, in the national league with LA, did you ever get in at bat? Yes. I got my hit. I got my, uh, <laughs> I was, 
<laughs> over the top excited. Yeah, Brian Jordan still would probably laugh thinking about it, but because um, I, I was pumping my fist down to first base on my, you know, eight to ten dribbler up the up the middle, but I was pretty pretty jacked to finally get my hit. Um, no, it fits the same thing. I always wanted to be a player, so yeah, you know, I relieved because I had a good arm, but it wasn't necessarily, you know, my dream would have been to you know be able to play right field and and be there and. You know, that just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, I think you did all right as, as a guy who was in the pen. I think you did okay. <laughs> but I just, I was, I, I, what I was getting at is, you know, I've always been kind of, you know, as a Cubs fan, partial to the NL. I was I never liked the idea of a, a designated hitter uh, in, in the National League. But because yeah, of just what you said there, I mean, Paul Shuey, if there's a DH, never gets a chance to take, you know, those handful of at bats at the big league level. You know, that, that's. Yeah. You know, there's something kind of unique. There's something special about that. There's a lot special to that. There's a lot special to, you know, the managers make some really tough decisions, you know, the double switches and how much more there actually is to managing. But with all that being said, I used to refer to American League as varsity and National League as JV because, the you know, number nine can take you out of the yard at any point in time, you know? So I just felt like that's what – when I was playing there, it just seemed like that was kind of the deal. And then the other part of it was you go from Cleveland and we were scoring, I think 7.5 runs a game or something at the time. Yeah. And then I went over to LA and I was there for like two weeks. And I'm like, I asked, uh, Ganya, I said, how long till, uh, we snap out of it, you know? And, uh, we were winning games, but we were winning one zip two one. Right. He's like, snap out of it. What are you talking about? We're killing the ball. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now, I, in fairness, coming around. In, in fairness, Cleveland had a pretty potent lineup. I mean, it was <laughs> well, they were kind right. of the exception rather than the norm, to be to be honest. But yeah, that was there were more runs obviously scored in the American League. But those Cleveland lineups you're referring to, those guys could, with one swing of the bat, change the complexion of a game in a lot of cases. It really. It really changed it to where if when you came in the game, you're like, just keep it close, right? Those guys took so much pressure off the pitching because yeah. if you kept it close, you know, Manny or Tony or Albert Bell or Kenny, you know, somebody was going to connect. Yeah. And it's just a matter of time. So you just needed to keep it tight, you know, not mess up too bad. And then things were going to go your way. And it sure happened that way. Every once in a while, I come over to Manning and be like, "Hey, man, can you wrap this up?" <laughs> <laughs> Paul really, Shuey uh, with us uh, here, former big leaguer Paul Shuey with us here. Uh, were Were you at any point worried that uh, the baseball was not going to get on the field this year, as far as an agreement between the players' association and owners? Yes. Yeah, I just felt like both sides were pretty well split on some of the stuff that we've talked about so far where some guys, you know, you pick out one little piece and everybody's opinion might be such to where, you know, it's a little different, but there's a sticking point and each guy may have a different piece. And there seemed to be so many new things that they were trying to put into play that I just feel like there was a lot of guys that had a lot of sticking points that were going to be hard to say yes to. But I think at the end of the day, you know, the, the guys agreed to, to get out there to test the waters a little bit, like you were saying, 
and see how some of these new rules, you know, play out and see what's kind of realistic and, and works and what, what really doesn't, you know, and, and hopefully, you know, everybody's communication is to a level to where, you know, everybody can have a good discussion and say, okay, this is a, this is something that failed and this is something that works. And yeah, then we, uh, you know, we're able to grow from it. When you, uh, early in your career was around the time of the strike, um, Cleveland may have been the exception to this because uh, the Indians were really good and that city was, you know, starving for a world champion and they, and a lot of those Cleveland teams were often in contention. Um, but, you know, overall, the sport, it took a, a few years to kind of win fans back. Uh, there, it was kind of chronicled a little bit in the long gone summer, a few years uh, after the strike uh, with uh, Sosa and McGuire. Uh, so I don't know if it's necessarily, uh, you know, if you noticed anything, because, again, Cleveland was playing before sellouts. It, it seemed like uh, every game in, in your career there. Uh, but did you did you notice it took a few years for overall to kind of get fans back interested in the game again? Uh, a little bit. Like you said, it was such a such a different kind of atmosphere in Cleveland because everybody was so excited to have the, the Jacobs Field brand new and, you know, get in there. 94 was, um, you know, the strike year, and it was my first year. And I don't know. I think you, you hit it on the head. Cleveland was so starved that they were a little different. But when we went to other cities, you could see, you know, it, it had taken a hit, right? Yeah. And it did take yeah. a little while just to earn everybody's trust back, I think. And, you know, anytime you're doing it, there's no way to come off in a good light as a player. You know, the reality as a player is you have to play for almost six years before you can really, you know, make some solid money. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it's a business. And when you're running a business, you got to, you got to do some things that, you know, the public eye doesn't always like. And, um, it was one of the learning processes for me to really back what the union was doing at the time. Cause sometimes yeah. it was tough, you know, Yeah, you know, you just want to play as a kid. And then I played long enough to where you, you learn, you gotta, you gotta take care of it, you know, so that you don't get pushed around. Um, uh, I appreciate uh, you coming on with us here and uh, giving us your insight and uh, we'll, uh, we'll be following it. Obviously. We might bring, we, we might get you, we might twist your arm and get you back as our uh, in-season analyst here when we, uh, <laughs> between you and Billy Ripken, I think we're going to, we're going to be okay. So that, that sounds good. Yeah. I'd be, uh, <laughs> I'd be happy to come on. And I do have to say, I'm really excited about seeing uh, what Aaron Sabato can do. It was really a privilege to watch him over at Carolina and what he was able to do. One of the best young hitters I've seen. And then to see him, you know, obviously he went to Minnesota, but, um, I'm looking forward to to seeing what he can do. He's got one heck of a swing. Yeah, yeah. You know, we really get into that. I mean, you see, you had uh, Alec Burleson taken. I know you saw Burley a couple of times in those UNC ECU uh, matchups. Uh, but Duke, I was stunned the amount of kids off the Duke roster that got drafted. That was that was yeah. really, uh, remarkable. Well, and the other part of that is just you know when you're watching and calling those ACC games. My goodness, you know. I mean, it's the the talent level has just come up so much year after year to where um i don't know i mean it's always it's exciting to watch and you got to do your homework because so many guys it's it's really there's maybe five guys 
in lineups now that are you got to watch the whole game. You know, I remember doing some with uh, Miami and just like you said with Duke. You know, they've they've always had good pitching. Seems like, and um, I don't know they were special. But there's yeah. so many teams. It's just more a matter of you know, can you play well at the right time? And, yeah. You know, it's uh, it's trying. NC State. It's almost a shame as well as they were playing and, and able to do things. Yeah. But, uh, they weren't able to see how things finished up. You and no, went off the hook. I, I think you would have had uh, a lot of teams from this state, the ones you mentioned, State Duke, uh, UNC, ECU, uh, and then others too uh, that are usually kind of there. You'd have had a lot of representation in the uh, in the postseason this year, I think, uh, out, of, out of the state of North Carolina as a whole uh, with baseball. Uh, college baseball i really think you would have uh hey paul great to catch up with you man we appreciate it we'll uh we'll talk with you soon and uh uh hope you're able to catch uh, a few more fish before uh baseball gets started up here all right, all right. thanks I a lot buddy it. thanks for having me yep. Patrick. okay all right there he goes uh paul shuey uh good stuff there i tell you what let's grab a break we'll come back ben will update you on what's going on uh hv3 is out on the course of the travelers uh, mckenzie hughes fired a, a big day and has a three-shot lead uh, over uh, three other players as of right now. Uh, but uh, HV3 is on his uh, uh, back nine and has uh, started to play a little better. He is uh, in the uh, the good numbers there where you want to be, and uh, we'll uh, give you an update on what's going on uh, with Ben after this on the PJ Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we're doing it for the gram. We're doing it for the gram. Like our brand new 94.3 The Game Instagram page for photos from our shows, all the events we cover, pirate game days, and all the hashtags, pics, and videos from around the pirate nation. That's 94.3 The Game in our brand new page now on Instagram. Patrick Johnson. I think he's a hedonist and an overblown grandstander. This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Ben Barham here for your 94.3 The Game Sports Update. EC Athletics performed 68 COVID-19 tests earlier in the week on student-athletes, coaches, and staff. As part of its return to campus protocol, the schools announced that they have only one positive result confirmed. ECU Women's Basketball is a new member of Maddie Moore, transferred from Charlotte, signing a national letter of intent to join the team. Moore, 6'3 forward, brings 43 games of experience to the Pirates. UConn announced that it would be cutting down its athletic programs from 22 teams to 18. The team's cut include men's cross country, men's swimming and diving, men's tennis, and women's rowing. The entire Grand Canyon men's basketball team has been quarantined due to the coronavirus concerns. It was reported that four players and two staff members have tested positive for the virus. And ACC Commissioner John Swafford has announced that he will retire after the 2020 through 2021 season. Swafford served 24 years, the longest tenure for league commissioner in the conference's history. 22-year NBA vet and UNC alum Vince Carter announced his retirement earlier today. Carter is the 19th all-time on the NBA scoring list and was the first player to play in a game in four different decades. The NFL's annual Hall of Fame game and enshrinement ceremony has officially been canceled due to the coronavirus pandemic. The preseason game between the Cowboys and the Steelers will be rescheduled for the next season, along with the enshrinement ceremony. Matt Rule held a Zoom meeting to talk the latest in, Panth- in the Panthers in the lead-up to the 2020 season. Here's what he had to say concerning the preparations for their upcoming training camp. 
Uh, we're preparing for, you know, the rookies to show up um, July 21st, you know, injured players and quarterbacks. I think it's the 23rd and then obviously the veterans on the 28th. So we're, we're preparing for that. Um, but we know that we know that there'll be more probably um, more guidelines, more protocols, more best practices as we move forward. And from the Travelers Championship at River Highlands, ECU alum Harold Varner III is currently shooting three under on the 14th. Meanwhile, the Canadian Mackenzie Hughes leads the tournament, finishing 10 under on the day, followed by Roy McElroy, Xander Shoffley, and Victor Hoffman with seven under. Here at 94 through the Game Sports Update, I'm Ben Barham. More from the P-Man on your flagship station, the ECU Pirates, right after this quick, t- quick timeout. Like us on Twitter at 943thegame for breaking sports news, programming alerts, and the latest from the ECU Pirates. Patrick Johnson, every weekday at 5. I know he's a friend of yours, but that guy is bonkers. This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 943thegame. All right, uh, 549. Thanks to Paul Shuey. NASCAR released the photo of the garage door pull rope today uh, in the Bubba Wallace garage at Talladega. And uh, as predicted, a lot of media are uh, quick on the the take now that this is indeed a news. But this is what NASCAR had to say about it. Uh, The FBI learned that garage number four, there was a noose found, I'm I'm sort of paraphrasing uh, there, uh, was assigned to Bubba Wallace last week. This is the key part. The investigation also revealed evidence, including authentic video confirmed by NASCAR, that the noose found in the garage number four was that garage uh, was in that garage as early as October 2019. Although the noose is now known to have been in the garage number four in 2019, nobody could have known Mr. Wallace would be assigned that garage number for last week. Uh, I've had different people uh, put this uh, up here. Now, one thing that Steve Phelps did say, uh, and this is a quote from Steve Phelps, in hindsight, and he's the president of NASCAR, in hindsight, I should have used the word alleged talking about the news uh, because the FBI and NASCAR have continued to call this uh, a news in some of the reportage, but in other parts of it, they've, they've talked about it being, um, you know, the, the garage uh, rope to kind of pull things down. Now, Bob Pockeris, who we've had on the show, says that the president of NASCAR said they checked through the garage area. No other uh, stalls had a similar rope. Uh, and then uh, Pockeris actually went back to October of 2019, last time there was a race before this past weekend at Talladega. And uh, looked at his camera roll on his phone, and uh, it's confirmed. You do see the rope there on the left that it had been uh, rigged with that kind of uh, handle. Uh, we had uh, Clay Travis talk about this uh, earlier via Outkick the coverage. You got that ready to go, Ben? This is uh, Clay Travis talking about it. This is a failure across the board. It's a failure by NASCAR. It's a failure of Bubba Wallace and his team. It's a failure of the sports media, all of them. Most of you believe that the, uh, the sports media is number one to blame, number two to blame is Bubba Wallace, and number three to blame is, the, uh, is NASCAR. We have a real problem in this country with making uh, decisions 
before we know what the actual facts are. Everybody wants to react to stories before we know what actually happened in the story. We have created a universe where if you are skeptical of something, somehow you're racist or sexist. Uh, that was Clay Travis, uh, I guess, on his afternoon outkick uh, video that he does. And uh, you can hear him every uh, morning here on 94.3, the game six until nine. Uh, Clay Travis in the mornings here. You know, I, I think he's 100% right. There is more of uh, this desire that we've talked about all week, really, that those in the media, sports media in particular, wanted to make this uh, a, a, you know, severely uh, bigoted racial thing. And, you know, now the, you'll see a lot of that same thing for people who could not care less about NASCAR. Um, you know, they'll never watch a NASCAR race. Um, there, there's, they, they don't, but they care about speculating and trying to get a reaction and reacting. Uh, kudos to Bob Pockers, who I think's done a really good job on this because Bob is a, is a reporter. I mean, Bob is covered this as a reporter uh jeff gluck who i know personally and have known for for years uh you know gluck has kind of had his feet a little bit on on both sides of this wanting to be a hot take artist but i mean he did some very good reporting today on this uh as well and has some pretty comprehensive uh tweets out there and comments from steve phelps so both those guys have done a really nice job of being journalists uh, in this, I, I know the guy who trained Gluck is a journalist and is, he's an excellent journalist. So an award-winning journalist, and he's that a journalist, not a, a hot take artist, but everything else you're seeing on this is, is an exercise in, in hot takery. Um, but I do agree with Clay Travis there. I think NASCAR is complicit in this. They obviously didn't choose their words. Well, uh, by saying alleged, they just went straight out with, with the word a noose, but I go back again to that. Uh, that, that deal they had Monday, the press conference, the teleconference. And I remember listening to it on Monday and Pockris was the only one to ask about, could this have been misconstrued as, you know, the, the pull rope on the garage door. And you know, I have people asking now, well, why would you, they had no way of knowing that Bubba Wallace was going to be in that garage ever back in, uh, in October or ever. And, you know, you see pictures of that, but I mean, there's people still calling it media members, still calling it a noose. It's, it's really in some ways, uh, a little irresponsible to be honest with you. Uh, and, and Bubba Wallace has kind of walked some of his CNN statements back. I think he was caught up in the moment. I mean, he's, he's on a national stage that frankly, he's not been on before. And I think Bubba Wallace from, from all accounts is a guy that just wants to go out there and race and wants to drive and. You know, he's been thrust into this this different sort of role. Uh, but we'll see what, uh, what what kind of is new with this over the next several days. Uh, ben mentioned it in the update a few minutes ago, the Travelers uh, going on up in Connecticut. Uh, what a round by Mackenzie Hughes, who struggled mightily in uh, Hilton Head last week. Has a three-shot lead over uh, Maury McElroy, Xander Shoffley, and one other. Uh, Harold Varner the third, uh, now two under through 15. So HV3 playing a lot better in round one than he did last week, but he's eight shots off the lead. And uh, it'll just depend on can Hughes uh, duplicate what he did last week. Uh, big thanks to Paul Shuey for being on with us today. As always, thanks to Ben Byram. 
ECU says a positive COVID test has come back after a group of athletes, coaches, and staff tested on Tuesday. That's the big story uh, leading out things today. 68 people were part of that test, and the person who tested positive will self-isolate for 14 days. We'll have more on this tomorrow. And uh, have Steve Wiseman, Nikki Novak, on with us tomorrow on The Patrick Johnson Show.